We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. No Chris today. He's down at the happiest place on earth. He's hanging out in Disneyland. But that doesn't mean we're not going to talk about our friends at Lamb Chops. SGLambChops.com is the website. You can follow them on Instagram at SGLambChops. Get over there. Check out all their new styles. It's super dope. And while you're at the website... Use promo code CANDLESTICK20 for 20% off your order. Lamb Chops is a Minnesota-based fashion brand founded in 2012. Their mission is to lead the herd with original and high-quality clothing. Those are the two boxes that they check the most. The most original things, I am a boring dresser, or I used to be prior to Lamb Chops. I was a plain-colored shorts, plain-colored shirt, maybe a little bit of graphic tee, depending on if I really want to get crazy. And then uh, a hat. That's how I was going out 99.9% of the time. But now, thanks to Lamb Chops, I've got shorts covered in lions. I've got shorts covered in orcas. I've got shells. I've got wolves. I, at minimum, have awesome shorts on, but they've also got t-shirts. They've got some sick hoodies. Make sure to check out all that stuff. And and like I said, their their goal is original and high quality. Both of those things. The My Lamb Chops t-shirts are my favorite tees. They're heavy duty, but not uncomfortable. I love the way they fit. Same thing with the shorts. They're not too long, but they're also not too short. Your boy's got some very pasty thighs. I don't want to, I don't want to let those things bang too much, but I also don't, I'm not a shorts down to or past the knee guy. The shorts are the perfect length. They're super comfortable. You can get them in sweatshorts. You can get the Jersey shorts. You can get them just plain colors. If you want, you can get them with the crazy designs, whatever you're into. Lamb chops has something for you. They offer one of a kind clothing options from unique statement pieces to everyday essentials I never had a favorite brand before, but now I do, thanks to Lamb Chops. With no Chris, I decided to invite our buddy Nick Wagner from ESPN on the pod. We always joke that he gets one mention per pod. That joke, I think, has just turned into a reality. He gets a ton of run on our show. And with Chris out, I said, hey, we're just going to get Nick on. He's one of my absolute favorite people to talk football with because he is, he is A, plugged in, but B views everything kind of big picture, not a reactionary guy. He's always going to let things play out and then, and then form his, his takes that way. Just uh, like I said, one of my very favorite people to not just talk 49ers with, but to talk football with and, and music and all the other stuff that, that we talk about. So really excited for this conversation. Let's dive in. Hey, this is George Kittle and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. Kittle in Denver territory. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. 
Bosa has got him and a second back inside the 30-yard line. Nick Bosa drops Aaron Rodgers for a 13-yard loss. We've mentioned him so many times on this podcast that I think you get to mention once a show that we just decided, hey, you know what? Chris is out of town. He's in Disneyland today. We're just going to get Nick on the show. So, Nick, thanks for for hopping on and uh, and taking over while Chris is enjoying the happiest place on earth. Honestly, my favorite kind of show is this one. And what I mean by that is because Chris isn't here. So that's like that's that's it's the perfect it's the perfect set. If you ever want to get me on the show, just whenever Chris isn't around, you know, Chris I could just fire I could fire shots at him without responding like I am right now. You know, you it's actually great. you actually asked to come on, right? You said right. Chris isn't going to do it. Po- I'm right. in there. I just dropped a little bug in Kyle's ear, like, "Hey, next time Chris is gone, or or hey, maybe I'll send Chris to Disneyland and then just slide right into the pod and <laughs> and do a fill in." So that's where we're at. That's what happened. I would, I, I would honestly, bro, I would do this entire show doing Disney takes, Disneyland, <laughs> Walt Disney World, doesn't matter. I'm I'm down, but I know people are probably here for football stuff. Maybe sure, let's talk football, and so we should probably do that. Uh, we can get to some Disney takes later, but um, day 10 of camp just wrapped up. We're recording this Monday afternoon. I just want to get kind of your, your overview on how the quarterbacks have looked. And I guess, I guess I'll start with, with Brock Purdy. Does he look for lack of a better word, normal to you? Yeah. I mean, look, let's, let's start here. Let's start with just kind of how he looks from a health perspective. I haven't seen any difference in him in terms of like arm strength or velocity or any of that kind of stuff. Like, you know, Kyle Shanahan made one of my favorite references that I've ever heard him made early in camp when he was talking about rookie of the year. Um, and you know how he was hoping that he was hoping that Brock Purdy would have had the magic surgery where he can suddenly just fling the ball a hundred miles an hour or whatever. Um, <laughs> but I can assure you that, that Brock, Brock Purdy is, is, no Henry Rowan Gardner he that that has not happened but uh nonetheless he is about where he is and look the arm strength has never been like his thing right like that's not mm-hmm. who he is but there hasn't been a noticeable drop off either so I, I think he's fine in that regard I'll say this like I I'm not someone I don't like making like snap judgments on you know players based on these practices because mm-hmm. practices you know by its very nature is designed to make players better. And I, you know, I track, I track reps, I track the, you know, the completions, all that kind of stuff, but Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of just trying to keep an, keep an idea of, you know, if there was a particularly bad day or something, I can go back to it later on. Like, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo threw five picks in a, in a training camp practice. And it was just interesting to go back at the end of 2019. He had a good year and be like, Oh, look at where he was in August and look at where he is now, like that kind of stuff. So anyway, with, with Brock Purdy, I do think today, uh, and people won't, you know, people may contend with this, whatever. It's fine. Everybody's got a different opinion. That's that's fine. But I thought today was his best day um, and the numbers won't show it. I think I had him at eight of 17 or something like that. He was around 50 percent completion percentage, but just he was pushing the ball down the field a little bit more. He was more accurate than he's been when pushing the ball down the field more. And he didn't have some of the passes that he's had that have kind of floated on him when he's thrown some deep balls. He threw a deep crosser to Ray Ray McLeod early in practice. That was right on the money. He had a few other ones. And the reason is the reason I say it was his best day and it may not go look that way is because there was four or five passes that should have been caught 
that were mm. big plays that 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 kind of fell by the wayside that were out of his hands. Christian McCaffrey, as great as he's been, I think he would be the first one to tell you. Early in practice, McCaffrey threw one short right corner to McCaffrey. Uh, Purdy threw one to McCaffrey, short right corner, and McCaffrey just didn't get his his, uh, his second foot down. Uh, is incomplete. Probably should have been a touchdown. There was one later where McCaffrey runs a wheel route down the left side. Purdy puts it right on him, and McCaffrey didn't turn his head in time, and and the ball mm-hmm. fell incomplete. Debo Samuel had one that I think he would tell you probably should have caught. Danny Gray had one in the end zone in red zone drills that should have been caught. So all of a sudden, if you add, if you put, the, if you tack those four <laughs> on, that's sure. a heck of a day, right? So again, there's th- this context is always important, but the more important. T- takeaway from that is is Purdy looked much better he was pushing the ball into that intermediate and, and deeper areas and that's where the 49ers make their hay like you have to be able to hit those crossers intermediate dig routes all that stuff that are the staples of a west coast Shanahan offense that have been for years that's the important stuff so I think Purdy looks I think Purdy looks better and that's what they want and just the just the fat Kyle alone that he's getting all these reps, whereas last year at this time he was getting even less than like Brandon Allen is getting right, right. now. Like that alone should make him much better. And I think that gets lost in the conversation because a lot of people yeah. are like, oh, Brock Purdy's going to regress. And and maybe he will because he was, you know, the numbers were so great last year. But there's also room for Brock Purdy to get better. Sure. And I think yeah. I think that gets lost in this conversation sometimes. I think the big thing I was I was uh, concerned about with him returning was less the arm strength and the ability to make all the throws, right? Because with modern medicine and just the track record of the few quarterbacks who have had this surgery, usually come back and the arm strength's fine. The bigger thing to me was that mental hurdle of being able to throw with bodies around him and being able to hang out in the pocket and not bailing too early. That doesn't sound like it's been a huge problem so far in camp. Do you anticipate that maybe being something that he has to get over in these joint practices coming up at the Raiders? I think it's a, I think it's a great point, and I think it's I know you've been on, kind of on top of that for a little while now. And, and you know, Stefania Bell and I did that story back in the spring mm-hmm. that was kind of talking about it. And Stefania talked to Nick Mullins, and Nick Mullins said that was you know one of the other one of the few other pro quarterbacks who's had the same exact surgery, and he said that was his biggest challenge. Right. I was asking Brock about that last week because we are getting close to the time where hey, there's preseason games on the schedule. It doesn't sound like he's going to play against the Raiders, but maybe in that second second game against the Broncos, which has kind of been when Shanahan has used his starters is in game two. So maybe you'll see him there. And, and Brock said, you know, no, I, I'm not super worried about that. I'm just trying to focus on going through my reads and playing football mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I still think that maybe that changes, you know, when he puts the uniform on and he goes out there and he's live, like maybe that's, I just think that's human nature. That's nothing against Brock. I think that would be any human being in that situation. Yeah. Um, you want to at least get that hit out of the way and and feel it and get back to kind of normal and say, okay, it's fine. You know? So, so I have to think that's there. And I think, honestly, I think that's a, that's a reason to, to play him in yeah. the preseason, right? Yeah. Like it, you don't want him to have whatever that might be in a regular season game. Cause even though there might be some, a whole different set of nerves for mm-hmm. that, but um, if you can at least remove that element of the, out of the equation for him, I think it's going to, it's only going to help him. So yeah, I don't think he's super concerned about it, but it's easy to say, you know, right here before you actually have to go do it. The thing I can't get out of my head is that Jimmy Garoppolo preseason game against Denver yeah. in 20, yeah. whatever that 19, I guess. Yep. Like yep. he ended up being fine, but man, that first game back against yeah. a live defense, he looked like he'd never played football before. It was, and he struggled against Tampa in week one oh, of yeah. that year. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I was talking about, I don't remember who I was talking with about that just the other day, but they basically the Niners keep I'm going to credit like, Eric branch with this. It probably was actually, uh, but one of, one of the, th- but th- you know, one of the things that this team has talked about a lot right now is, is I, I was asking Kyle Juszczyk the other day, kind of about, you know, I'm working on a story on kind of this whole idea of a Super Bowl window. And if, 
you know, how aware of it they are and all that kind of stuff. And Juszczyk was saying, like, one thing we're really focused on is getting off to a fast start because we haven't done that in the last couple of years. And we've had to kind of dig ourselves out of these little holes. And also, it's even more important because we're one of those teams we're allowed to think about being the number one seed. Like, we've mm-hmm. earned that right to be able to that team that's like, yeah, we should legitimately have a shot at that. And all those games mean something. So, uh, you know, in 2019, that defense was so good that Jimmy had kind of a grace period there. There was a little longer runway for him to get rolling, because if you remember, I don't think it was. Yeah, he played pretty good in Cincinnati in week two, but I think it wasn't until like weeks five or six where he started kind of feeling like himself yeah. again. And so I think if Brock Purdy has that same type of thing, the defense is good enough to give him some runway again. But if they can avoid that, certainly that's uh, that would be something they would like to have where they can start firing on those cylinders pretty quickly. I want to. I want to get to Trey Lance and Sam Darnold here in a second, but you brought up something that I was thinking about today with the defensive end group specifically, because you mentioned the the hot start in 2019. They get out to that eight, no start. And remember that year, their, their pass defense was historically great because yes. in large part, their pass rush was just unbelievable. And, you know, Richard Sherman was really good that year and, and Akella Weatherspoon sure. got off to a good start and all that. But I think their pass rush had a lot to do with that. And it, and it was because it was just relentless. It was yeah. Nick Bosa and it was D Ford and it was just a constant wave of pass rushers. Do you think that there's a chance that this defensive end group can do a little bit of that same thing? Because I know you mentioned in your in your post-practice thread that Austin Bryant looked really spry coming back. Taco Charlton has looked good. I feel like Cleveland Furl comes up with a, a play or two every day that that people are tweeting about. What are your thoughts on on that group specifically? Yeah, I mean, past Bosa, I'm still kind of in the I need to see it to believe it type okay. of situation here. And 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 that's not meant to be a knock on these guys because I think Chris Kasurik has earned benefit of the doubt at this point with what he's been able to do with those guys. But the, the difference is they don't have that D Ford element. And yeah, I know D Ford mm-hmm. was hurt a lot, and I know he was hurt a lot early in that season, even. But when they had him, their third, their so you know, third down unit was pretty much unblockable. It was yeah. it was Ford, Buckner, Armstead, Bosa across that front line. And I mean they were they were they were pretty much unblockable and they could do whatever they want in coverage because they could just rush those four and create problems all day. This group is different. I do think they have a chance to get back closer to that because of the Hargrave edition. Like when I watch Javon Hargrave, I'm like, oh yeah, that's a $20 million a year defensive tackle. Like you just can see it, you know? And, and yeah. And and the thing is like, I'm not comparing him because I think, I think that Aaron Donald's on a different level than everybody, maybe everybody who's ever played the game, but I covered Aaron Donald. When you, when I first saw Aaron Donald as a rookie, this is rookie mini camp. It was evident immediately that he was better than everyone on the field, especially in rookie minicamp. But even when the vets came in, like Mm -hmm. it was still like, I remember Chris long talking about it. Like, Oh my God, this guy, look, he looks like a 10 year pro and he's better than me. And I've been in the league for (laughs) six years. I'm like, this is crazy. And, and and so anyway, I say that to say when I watch Javon Hargrave, like you just know it when you see it, like he's, he's a very, he's unique. Um, I almost said very unique, which is not a thing. You're, you're unique because you're unique, unique, but like, like super, right. Just incredibly (laughs) unique. So, uh, but no, he's unique because he's, he's built in a way where he's already kind of low to the ground. He's not a tall guy Mm -hmm. and he's, he's very explosive. But he just gets on. He's under your pads basically every time when when the ball is snapped, which is the thing that Aaron Donald always did. So that was kind of why right. I was comparing them. And 
And so I've seen him lose, not even lose, but like be held to a draw like one time in in one on one pass rush drills. And the rest of the time, it's like instantaneous that he's in the backfield. And so I think what's fascinating is, is when you go back to that group that you're talking about in 2019, you had Buckner and Armstead who were like the twin towers. Right. Mm -hmm. And and Hargrave now is going to give them another pass rusher, but it's a different style. And so I wonder if there's some different things they can do that might be a little bit different because. Buckner and Armstead had to win in similar ways. You know, they could do it with power and they were kind of sleek and they would do a lot of different stunts and things like that. But Hargrave, they may not have to do as much scheming things up for him. You know, mm-hmm. scheme fronts has been such a big thing for Kasurik and it was under D'Amico Ryans and, and Robert Sala where, the, you know, they're trying to, they're, run, they're running games and stuff like that. They may not have to do that as much, um, which I think should open more opportunities for just straight up, flat out, yep. one-on-one opportunities for whoever is playing defensive end on the other side. So that is a super long-winded way. That's my way anyway, but a super long-winded <laughs> way of saying that I think the defensive ends are going to be in a really advantageous spot. Yeah. So if any of of them can ascend and take that you know the caseric secret sauce and and sure. have that type of success like we've seen with Arden key then they should be fine and have a chance to get at least somewhere close to what we saw from that 2019 group which is the whole reason they went out and got hargrave anyway right and that's a that's kind of the thing is is i've looked at that group and been like i don't know man it's cleveland furl disappointment Austin Bryant hasn't been able to stay on the field. Drake Jackson, who knows in his second. It's a bunch of guys like that. Taco Charlton now, kind of the same thing. But given what Kasurik's track record is, and given the bar that that player needs to clear, it's like, can you make the quarterback uncomfortable on that side, on third down? Like, that's, that's, I... Well, so much of it too is I had a I had a good conversation with Cleveland Furl today after practice, and he we were talking about why he chose here, and you know he was talking about mm-hmm. how Kasurik or whatever you know Arden Key kind of recommended, and and these guys know right like around the league it's now well known like right. hey if if you want somebody to get your career going like that's a good spot to be in, and and so Cleveland Furl was saying like even before free agency started he was like it's not where I wanted to be. It's where I needed to be like wow. he straight up said that to me. And I thought that was a really that's a really interesting thing to think about. And I think that alone where it's like, OK, they're going to bring in numbers and they have like a role in mind for everybody. So like mm-hmm. even Charles Amena, who last year was like, oh, they're using him like Arden Key. Like you can be an right. idiot like me and still recognize that very easily, <laughs> you know, so like the, that that's the kind of stuff where it's like this. There's like a very clearly defined plan. And if they can give these guys clearly defined roles, it makes their jobs that much easier. Okay, I want to jump back over now to the quarterbacks. The the big battle, the Trey Lance, Sam Darnold, backup quarterback battle. I guess the the jumping off point is has there been any separation between those two players at all? If if you had to take a guess at which one is QB2 right now, could you? I mean, I could. I don't I don't know. I, yeah, be, like in theory. I don't know if it'd be accurate. Could. Sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't know if it would be an accurate one, but um Look, I don't think anyone is separated and maybe maybe nothing was ever going to be separated at this point. Maybe that is Mm -hmm. going to be strictly like what happens in these preseason games, particularly if Purdy's not playing much. There should be a lot of opportunities for those guys to go out and do it. I'll say this, like I do think Trey Lance, you know, there's been so much discussion about is, you know, is his release better? Is he this? Is he that? All that stuff. I do think he looks better. I think Mm -hmm. he looks like a different player than he did a year ago at this time. And he's an example of how like, this training camp, like the if you track the stats, I know people get annoyed with that. Kyle, Kyle Shanahan even has made a little joke about it today. But like, if you track the stats, like that is a good way to do it. Where it's like, look at his body of work from last 
off season and what yeah. he was completing or something and then look at it this year and there's a market difference and there's a reason for it and it's because he's more accurate particularly at those intermediate levels that we were talking about earlier that are such a staple of the Shanahan offense where mm-hmm. he still struggles is a lot of those underneath the the layups Kurt Warner always talks about it like the first thing you got to do when you become a starting quarterback in this league or if you want to stay a starting quarterback in this league is you got to make the layups and yeah. he still misses those sometimes but I do think he looks like a different player I think he looks better I think the Niners would be better off having him on the roster than anyone else as a number two quarterback that they could realistically have right now. And, and, and I, and I just, w- I would like to still see what he has. And that's not to say he should unseat Brock Purdy because games should matter at the end of yeah, the day. Like right. they should, they <laughs> should give credence to what happens in games because that matters more than anything else. So I understand why they're doing what they're doing right now. But I, I personally think that unless something crazy happens where there's a, a big injury somewhere else that's outside the 49ers control and brings them something significant back in terms of a trade offer I personally think they're better off with Trey Lance on this roster and and for me he would be number two right now now that's subject to change over what happens over the next three weeks but um that's that's how I view it Sam Darnold you know I thought he started off pretty good he's he's very comfortable with that intermediate stuff I was talking about Mm -hmm. earlier you can see that's kind of second nature for him um but he also has played it very safe and and that can be okay like in Kyle Shanahan's offense that's not the worst especially when playing sure. it safe means dumping it off to Christian McCaffrey that's not <laughs> a bad that's not a bad idea yeah. ever um but it also makes you wonder like okay Kyle wants you to play it safe but if he schemes up a shot you got to take it like he right. wants you to hit those too so um there's that that's kind of the balance like that's the trade off and what you're looking for and I'm sure part of that for Darnold is had a lot of interceptions. He threw a lot of picks in the first few years of his career, mm-hmm. and he's probably trying to eliminate that part of his game and then maybe build off of that. So um, still a lot to play out there. But, yeah, to answer your question again in a long-winded way, I, I don't think that anything has been settled in that regard yet. The funny thing about Darnold, and, and I guess he's yet to log in an interception in, in, in team drills in camp, the fact that Shanahan just didn't know that is fascinating to me. The, the fact yeah. that we live and die – on and i we the royal we live and die on (laughs) completions and incompletions and such in in camp but there's perhaps 10 things that matter before the actual result of the of the throw yeah and and it's just so much like even today he almost had one and i someone said like i he he someone said he had one and i was like i don't no, he didn't. Like today, I mean, and I, like mm-hmm. I don't, I don't remember that, but I do remember the one he almost threw that Demetrius Flanagan <laughs> fouls dropped. And it's so funny because if you go down the rabbit hole, you can start like people are counting near interceptions, right? And that's a that's a that's a thing, right? Like sure. that could be a problem. That could be problematic if those turns in, in interceptions if mm-hmm. they're bad decisions, right? Um, but on the flip side of that, it's do we count near touchdowns? Because if you're going to count near interceptions yeah. against Brock Purdy, I could give you four from today that were near touchdowns that you could count in his favor. And right. so it all comes out in the wash to me. That's why you don't count either one. I mean, you they're all worth mentioning. It's all part of the context and the nuance of this discussion. But um, in Sam Darnold's case, I, yeah, I don't think Kyle Shanahan – I think Kyle Shanahan – the way he views practice is the way a lot of us kind of view like roster building, for example. It's like, is your process good? Not mm-hmm. not is the result good necessarily in practice. Now, he wants good results on the field, of course, in games. But right. if, you're, if your process is good in practice, I think his idea is then when you get into games, the results will be good because mm-hmm. you've, you've practiced good process, if that makes sense. You've repped it out, as they say. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that, has jumped out to me the most and 
I think one of the things I've I've been most wrong about is Ty Davis Price. I was so confident that Ty Davis Price was following the Trey Sermon train out of Santa Clara going into camp. And now it sounds like he's been one of their best offensive players in training camp. How does it, what looks different? Like how, how, how is it so discernibly different? Because this is something that you've been, you've been hammering pretty hard. Yeah. What looks different? Everything. Um, no, it, it's like, it you know, his face. It, it's plastic it, surgery. It's <laughs> right. Right. We went full Nick Cage, Johnny Travolta. Yeah. Uh, it, no, it, it's, it's, it's really, it's pretty fascinating because I'm, I'm pretty hesitant usually to start talking about running backs until they can be tackled because that's mm-hmm. like the, the best way to judge them. But it does look so different. And then to hear the way people are talking about them. So, you know, it's not just us. Like, it's not just people observing. It's like coaches and playing teammates and stuff that are like, oh, my gosh, this guy is a different guy. So what's interesting is he gained weight, which helps him. But he's leaner, if that makes sense. Like it's 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 almost so it, like it almost runs. It's like counterintuitive, right? He's he's gained weight, but he's leaner. But he gained the right kind of weight, and so mm-hmm. I think he's actually a little quicker. Um, he's certainly more decisive. Like he gets north and south, uh, you know, quickly, which is what they want in this offense. And he's also improved as a pass catcher. Um, you know, I haven't seen you know a ton of you know blitz pickup or whatever to kind of gauge that. That's a little more left for the games. But yeah, I like. I was sitting there thinking at the beginning of camp, the first few days, like, okay, he looks good. We haven't seen him in pads yet. Then the first couple of days of pads, I was like, oh, well, like, he's definitely going to make the roster. Like, I'm not, I wouldn't worry about that. And then now, like, the last few days, especially with Mitchell dealing with what he's dealing with, with the abductor, like, I'm like, oh man, he he might play. Like they, they like they like he <laughs> like they they might be they might be like actively like we got to get this guy on the field because we want to at least see what we have now. Let's see what happens in the preseason games. Of course, I'll add that that caveat. But um, he does. He looks like he looks like a different player on the field. And um, I think may I wonder. There's a part of me that wonders. I'd like to talk to him about this. Is he saw the Trey Sermon thing up close last year? Mm. And 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 I wonder if maybe there's that little part of him too that's like, boy, after last year, like maybe I'm going the way of of Trey Sermon. I already got surpassed by, in his case, an undrafted guy where Sermon got surpassed by a later drafted guy in Mitchell. Yeah. And so, so, you know, it's easy to see that blueprint and say, boy, I better, uh, you know, I better move the infinity stone to a different point in time and try to change the way this is going to go for me, you know? Dropping, I don't know if that was a good, is that a no, bad reference? Avengers, I don't, I don't no, know if that makes sense. That's an Avengers reference that's on Disney. You're our favorite cast member, so I appreciate <laughs> the Disney reference. That's, no, that's very good. The idea that Marvel yeah. is Disney is nuts. Like that's crazy. Thor Lots is not things. a Disney character. Come on. I, I didn't I didn't do it. I, I didn't <laughs> declare that. <laughs> Call Bob. Get him on the me. horn. Tell yeah. him to tell him to get rid of that property. No. Speaking of of players who have stood out, this is great because I'm just gonna ask you all the questions that, that I've had about is the Deshaun Jameson undrafted rookie out of Texas, undrafted rookie corner out of Texas, is the Deshaun Jameson hype real to you? Because I've got John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan and Steve Wilkes and Brandon Ayuk, everybody, uh, Jire Brown. Are these guys gassing him up because they're just getting asked about him? Or is he playing that well? It's a little of both. I think I think he's uh, – there's a couple of things at play there. One, there is a – I think that fifth 
and maybe sixth if they want to keep six cornerback spot is open. So mm-hmm. you kind of automatically start like, okay, who are the guys that are contending for this? And, you know, Darrell Luter is, is not, uh, you know, he's on the reserve uh, uh, non-football injury list. And, um, and then you start going to the Ambry Thomas and it's like, okay, you know, where does he stand? And so, so there's, there's like a possible, there's an opening there, a job opening, you know, there's not a ton of competition for roster spots here. They may say that there is, but there's not. So I think that's, that's part of that conversation. The other part of the conversation is I do think Jameson, if nothing else, like this is going to sound so cliche and I hate it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Yes, he, it. He's, he, he's, he's feisty. Like you can see he's not afraid to stick his nose in there. And like when real tackling starts, like he's going to be involved in, like he's not going to be afraid to do that. So I think mm-hmm. that helps his cause. I think he's pretty sticky in coverage. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and be like, Oh, he's been the best core. You know, like this is guy, this guy should be playing right away. But mm-hmm. um, I think there, I think there is a path to a roster spot for him. A lot of that's going to depend, you know, can he play special teams and, and those kinds of things. But um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's been, I think one of their guys, at least in the undrafted guys and the rookie, really the rookie class as a whole, because they're not, I don't think they're expecting a ton from this rookie class in general, right. except for the kicker. Um, you know, I, I think he was one of those guys who's probably stood out uh, out of that rookie group so far. If he had to pick an animal that maybe resides inside of him, what what animal would you pick? Inside of him? Yeah. I, you say like I mean, he's got maybe like that dog in him? I wasn't going to say that. Maybe that <laughs> longhorn. Like, isn't he a Texas guy? Yeah, he is. Yeah. Yeah. Horns there up. you go. Yeah. Jake Moody been impressive? He has. Yeah, I mean he he yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's so funny because it's like if there's any position that us as media can really accurately tell you if a guy is doing well or not, it's kicker baby because it, it's either because it, it's did it go through the uprights or did it not? And in Jake in Jake Moody's case, it more often than not goes through the uprights. So I'm here to tell you, buddy. Jake Moody's getting it done. Zane Gonzalez has been really good yeah. too. Uh, I know Brian Schneider has been trying to push the idea that that's a competition, but um, I, I wouldn't be shocked if if there's a team that needs a kicker the end of camp and and at least flips the Niners the pick back that they were trading for for Zane Gonzalez. So, okay. Speaking of rookies, I'm just gonna now I'm gonna run through through all the rookies. Have either of the tight ends stood out to you in any way that makes you think they could make an impact? The tight, the, the rookie tight ends, yeah. The yeah. both of the rookie tight ends look like rookie tight ends, which is to say that like there's moments where you're like, okay, I could see why they drafted that guy, and then there's moments where I'm like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's there's probably you know it's probably going to take a while um for for either one of these guys. I I you know it's interesting because Braden Willis is the guy who came in with a little bit. I think he had a little bit of rep, better reputation as a blocker, um, and I haven't seen a ton from him in that regard. But I have seen a little bit more from him as a pass catcher. And then Latu, like he's actually more athletic than I thought he was. Uh, but he's just been very inconsistent uh, catching the ball. So um, either one of those guys going to carve out a big role right away. My guess is probably not. I think you're still probably going to see Charlie Warner as the as the number two guy behind George Kittle. But you know, Kittle looks really good too. I, I'll, I think maybe it's being underplayed a little bit. But you know, back in the spring, Kittle told us, "Hey, this is as good as I felt going into an offseason in a long time, where he mm-hmm. didn't have like some injury that he was just trying to finish, you know, with the season and tough it out or whatever." So um, I think I think he could be in line to to add to it. And, and I'm not necessarily saying oh he's going to have a 1,200 yard year, but like. The way the red zone weapon that he was at the end yeah. of last year for Purdy in particular, like I, I think I could see him continuing to be a favorite down there where he's again in that you know nine to twelve touchdown range, something like that at the end of the year. That's the thing I think we're gonna see as like the evolution of George Kittle's game is that 
red zone threat because he just wasn't that through his first few years that especially contested catches is were not his thing. Yeah. But man, last year and, and even 2021, you could tell that's something he's like actively worked on. And it wouldn't surprise me. Like you said, I don't think he does has a thousand yard season again, but I think, I think he's going to be like a nine, 10, 11 touchdown guy. It's funny. It's funny. You say that you could tell that the contested catch thing is something he works on at the start of every practice. This is every single day, Kyle, the Niners, when they're like doing some of their like individual work or whatever, or they're doing like some special team stuff. Kittle, obviously not involved with special teams. He comes over to the sideline with, with, uh, Brian Flurry, the, 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 uh, the tight ends coach mm-hmm. and Flory Flory like attaches himself to Kittle's hip. And then they have a ball boy, like throw him balls and Flory will try to like, just grab him or hold him or like pull at the ball or whatever. And they wow. do it for like, they do it for like 15 minutes. And it's strictly to work on that, which you were talking about right there, which is making tough contested catches. And I think it started to pay off last year. I would be surprised if it continues this year. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hey, it's your friends Kyle and Chris here with SG Lamb Chops, our homies, and our favorite fashion brand. Check them out at sglambchops.com. Go to Instagram and follow them at SG Lamb Chops. What's that? That's a Minnesota-based fashion brand. They were founded in 2012, and they emphasize attention to detail and premium quality, and that's reflected in the Lamb Chops brand cleaver logo. It's so sick. It's such a sick logo. It's just a really clean, just a cleaver. And it's a custom cut and fit for every single piece. Chris, you and I both have a closet full of this stuff. And I've yet to have something from them that I don't like. I think the emphasis is definitely on quality and comfort. And we talked about it before, but we live in an era where comfort is really at the forefront when it comes to clothing. And with all these athleisure brands, very few of them are fashionable. But Lamb Chops takes all that comfort and that quality that you need, and they happen to make very fashionable items. Also, you can get just very comfortable mesh shorts with pockets. We all love those, but they can look a little bit boring sometimes. You can get some leopard print. You can get some inverted leopard print. So the inverted leopard print looks kind of cool. It looks almost like a dark camo 
Well, you can get That's regular it. leopard print if you want to stand out a little bit. Um, you and I have both rocked the various animal prints. They're not even animal prints, but they're just you can get shorts with orcas and wolves and lions, mm. favorite animals. Um, you can get basic sweat shorts. Um, everything's just super comfortable, super premium and super stylish. And I think that's that's just a great combo for for any clothing brand. But Lamb Chops really stands out among the rest for that. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we love working with them. Lamb Chops is leading the herd with original and high quality clothing. They offer one of a kind clothing options from unique statement pieces to your everyday essentials. So join the group that's leading the herd. SG Lamb Chops. That's sglambchops.com. And on Instagram at SG Lamb Chops. Follow them right now. Speaking of running backs, just real quick, I don't want to spend a ton of time here because Christian McCaffrey is one of the 49ers best players. It's a huge reason that they had so much success offensively last year at, at, at in the second half of the year. I, I understand all that. But it feels like since OTAs, there has been this influx of reporting on how awesome Christian McCaffrey looks and he's going hundred percent. He's doing this and he's doing that. Am I out of my mind to think that we might get like thousand and thousand McCaffrey again this year <laughs> out of your mind? I won't say, I won't go that far, but uh, am I a total I... dipshit for thinking? <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, if you just stopped at dipshit, then I, I might have a, I might have a different answer, but uh, no, yes. I... Wait, Oh, there's more. Uh, yeah, no, no, honestly, like, here's the thing. This is going to sound counterintuitive again, but I think if Christian McCaffrey goes for a thousand and a thousand, something probably went wrong for the 49ers this year. And what Mm. I mean by that, what I mean by that is, is Christian McCaffrey, I think we would all agree is going to be the focal point of the offense because he's the skill position player who it's the easiest to put the ball in his hands, right? Because he's a running back. They could throw him short passes. He's obviously great running routes and all that stuff. But I think that the 49ers would like to have him be the focal point without having him be everything to the offense, which is what you have to be to be able to get a thousand thousand season. And, you know, the year he did it in Carolina when he had uh, I I think it was like twenty three hundred total yards or something like that from scrimmage. I think it was twenty three ninety two and 19 touchdowns in 16 games in Carolina, his best season. But guess what? They didn't have a whole lot of other options, so they were just kind of force-feeding him the ball, and he's a great player, but I think the 49ers would like to tell you we'd like to have Chris McCaffrey be a great player for us for years beyond this and not just this year, and so let's not run him into the ground. And I think the beauty of it for them is is that – and we saw some of this last season, especially toward the end of the year when when Debo got healthy a little bit, even though he wasn't at his best last season, but where they can take advantage of Christian McCaffrey's talent and get Mm -hmm. him the ball and let him do his thing, but then they can also take advantage of his gravity, which, you know, everyone around here, all the all, a lot of Niners fans understand what that means uh, because they're also, also Steph Curry fans, right? So mm-hmm. just the idea that Christian McCaffrey can draw so much attention, you could draw an eighth defender into the run box, it could create more opportunities for Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel and George Kittle. And Debo Samuel, by the way, obviously looks really good in this camp too. He, you know, a lot of the best shape of his life stuff. I know that gets thrown around as a cliche, but um, in his case, I think it it seems to be true. At least it is the best. He's the best shape he's been in for a couple of years. So I say all that to say, yes, Christian McCaffrey is capable of another thousand thousand season, particularly if he plays all 17 games, but I think the 49ers would prefer to have him, you know, something closer to 1200 yards rushing and 700, 600 receiving yards. And then other guys are doing damage as well. 
I, that's I feel the same way about Debo Samuel. Like I know I've seen the video. I see how slim he looks, and he's worked super hard, and he's taking shirtless picks and sending him to Kyle Shanahan. I get I get all that, but what he did in 2021 was born out of necessity. Yes, they had it's a great, the it's a great back, analogy. Absolutely, they had injuries at the running back position. And he was just their he was their best running back by the end of the year. So he was also going to get all these carries where now they have like the prime version of that, right? With Christian McCaffrey and those two take, I don't want to say take away from each other, but they complement each other enough that they don't need to lean on, on one of the other. So I think, I think that's a good point you make on things kind of went wrong. If they're if they're leaning that heavily, yeah. And oh, by the way, Brandon Ayuk looks like the best player on the field, all like a lot of the time during camp. So like you've got all these mouths to feed, and that's a tough task to do. You can't every game you're not going to be able to just perfectly spread it out. So yeah, everybody gets their hundred yards in one touch. Like that's not how life works. But I do think that you know there is going to be a kind of a rhyme and rhythm to. There's going to be certain games where McCaffrey goes off, and there's going to be games where other people do, and maybe he doesn't, but he's perfectly okay with that. And they have running backs that they trust. You know, like mm-hmm. Elijah Mitchell averaged 6.2 a carry last year. Like that's really seems, good. That's that's a big number. And Jordan Mason won far off a of six, I think. So, uh, you know, if they can do the thing where McCaffrey can can really kind of burn teams early and then they can kind of salt games away by by plugging those other running backs in, too. That's another thing that would maybe take away from any chance he has it at, you know, a thousand thousand type of season. It feels this year more than I think any other that the 49ers are locked in in a way that I I'm I'm more confident in them making a run this year than I think I have been in any of the years that Kyle Shanahan has been the head coach. And I I don't know exactly why. Maybe a lot of this is anecdotal, but being out there, do you get the sense that they're because you're we're talking about all these players and it's all of their best players look as good as they've looked in training camp in forever. And their quarterback that they averaged 33 and a half points a game with is healthy yeah. and making all the, th- it feels like they are more primed now to make a run than they have in any of the years where they actually made a run. I, I, I would agree. Uh, just being there, I think that's a good assessment. And, you know, 2019 was interesting because we knew they had the potential to be good, but we hadn't mm-hmm. seen it yet. So no one wanted, I mean, Hell, you can go to week nine of that year, and nationally there were people that still didn't believe in them. Oh, their schedule is bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're beating everybody by three touchdowns. I think right. they're pretty good. <laughs> it's the NFL, you know, like that's right. fine. But but they, but it took a while, so it's hard to sit here and be like, yeah, I knew that team was super loaded. I think in retrospect, we knew how loaded that team was. And then in 2021, to your point, they were good, and the defense kept them in a lot of games and kept, kept them in the playoff race. But they needed Debo to become Superman to yeah. make that run down the stretch. I mean, they had no margin for error down the end of that year. So, so yeah, that team was not quite as good. And then last year, I think we all knew they had the chance to be good coming off of, of what they did. But again, the quarterback thing loomed so large over that, that nobody really knew how it was going to work. And mm-hmm. I think get bringing Jimmy back, you know, there was, there was like, Oh, they, at least you kind of know what the floor is because Jimmy's here. Uh, but you didn't know what that ceiling was going to be. And the ceiling is high. If you're comparing it to 2019, right. particularly in a retrospective way. So going into this year, you look at every level of the team and it's like, there's a star there. There's a star there. And 
And what's fascinating, and like I said, I'm kind of working on this, and I'll, I'll write it as we get closer to the season, but just like what exactly is a Super Bowl window? How does it close? How do, how much do players think about it? What is the urgency level that goes with it? And I think what I've learned in my reporting and talking to guys is like there's a nucleus of guys mm-hmm. that are super urgent to get over the hump, and that's your George Kittles and your Trent Williams and your Kyle Juszczyk and your Eric Armstead, the guy Debo, the guys that have been here for a long time mm-hmm. and at minimum are on second contracts, right? And then I think there's like this next wave, and the next wave is the guy who could theor- or the guys who could theoretically keep the window open longer, right? Like if mm-hmm. if they can take if the if Brandon Ayuk and Dre Greenlaw and Talano Hufanga can take that next step to full fledged stars this year, now mm-hmm. all of a sudden your next your window could be especially if Purdy takes another step and is good. Right. Now your window can be open at least three more years or whatever until you got to pay those guys. So I, I I say all that to say that like I think there is a level of urgency here that starts at the top, and the beautiful thing about it is is those guys at the top command so much respect in that mm-hmm. locker room that those guys who are not only a step below them and trying to take that step into superstar level, but even below that where it's guys who are unproven are around these guys and can't help but to feel like I've got to deliver not only for my own future but because those guys are demanding it of me. And and I think that is a really important point to make because Fred Warner is out there every day. Like it's he's those rookie linebackers. Just using an example, you can see Jalen Graham and D winters. Like he's not letting anything slide with those guys because Mm -hmm. this is what the standard is. And all of that is again, (laughs) I keep making this reference, a long winded way of saying like, this is the culture that Kyle Shanahan has installed where it is a standard of this is what our top guys do. We pay. All of our top guys, by the way, which mm-hmm. isn't a bad thing if you're a young guy striving for something in this league. And if and if you can meet that standard, you can win a lot of games and you can get paid a lot of money. Who wouldn't want that? That sounds ideal. I think most people would take that. You can get paid a lot yeah. of money and win a lot of games. You have to know, work. Comfort- you have to work really hard, which would probably eliminate <laughs> some of us. Ah, I'm out then. Pointing oh. at myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that was one of the things that jumped out during Jair Brown's media availability uh, last week. He said, if you're not going to play this style, if you're not going to be aggressive, if you're not going to get downhill and you're not going to play, you can't run with these guys. Like, they don't want you out there. And that, yeah. that's 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 got to be intimidating. And I well, think it fa- forces the cream to rise. And it's fascinating to hear, like, uh, asking Christian McCaffrey about it. You know, this guy's an established player. He's considered one of the top, you know, coming in last year, one of the top 25 whatever players in the league. I don't know where he was on the the list or whatever. But nonetheless, that's how he's viewed around the league. But he even came in and was like, oh, you could feel it the second you get off the plane. Like, this is a place where... They know what they know the situation that they're in, and you got to win. Brock Purdy as a rookie last year, I came here and I knew immediately that this is what the standard is, and if I want to stick around, I got to live up to that. And I know some of that sounds cheesy. I, I get it. I get I get how people will be sure. skeptical of of listening to me say that, but it's just the truth. And 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 that's just that is again a product of it starts with Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, but I I think of the guys that they have kind of hand cho- hand picked to be the guys who set the standard and set that tone in that locker room where they're not going to let anything small slip through the cracks. There's one football thing, kind of big picture 49er football thing that I want to get to with you. And then we can talk about all the things we don't like about Chris. So <laughs> oh, we have to start another zoom. Better get zoom premium. <laughs> Chris, I subscribe to zoom for the funniest reason. You're going to love it. No, <laughs> 
Uh, I've had this thought, and I want to run it by you because I I really trust your thoughts on on football, and you've been around and you've you've covered the league for a long time. Yeah, yes, I'm old. Thank you, Kyle. Yeah, I, I, I didn't. I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> you did though, but you just did it. You, you have so much experience covering the NFL. <laughs> right. Tell someone You've they're a geezer a without telling someone they're a geezer challenge. Yeah, nice. <laughs> no, I I'm of the belief that the next kind of zig for for Kyle Shanahan because that's kind of been his thing, right? He's always one or two steps ahead offensively of what defenses are doing to stop modern offenses. That's kind of how he's he's mm-hmm. his bread and butter. So, and and your story on that on ESPN about that you wrote a few years ago about him cutting his teeth in defensive meeting rooms in Tampa Bay in the mid 2000s was eye-opening for him and and developed him as a coach. I think that's great. I think the next zag from the 49ers is going to be more multiple tight end stuff and I think that's why they drafted two this year. Because okay. defenses are getting smaller to try and get lighter and quicker. And if you can go two tight ends with one or two running backs where you can throw and pass out of that, well, now that puts defenses in a real bind in terms of what kind of personnel they're going to have on the field. But they haven't been able to do that because they haven't had a quality enough pass catching tight end that defenses have had to worry about them in in the passing game. I I think it's yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Kyle. I just think that's kind of where it's headed. Your thoughts. Yeah, I th- I know th- I think that's an interesting point and I'll go back to the spring I was having a conversation with tight ends coach Brian Flory about like you know what are you looking for in that second tight end like when you drafted Cam Latu and you drafted Braden Willis like what are the things that you're looking for to complement George Kittle because the beauty of George Kittle is that you can put him on the field and you're not telegraphing anything. You're not giving, right. you're not letting the defense know what's coming because he's equally adept as a pass catcher and as a run blocker. And so the the fine line that they have to walk if they want to go two tight ends is like, well, we just put Cam Latu in the game and he's, let's just say he's our blocking tight end. So now they're expecting us to run. Mm-hmm. Or we just put Braden Willis in the game and now they're expecting us to pass because that's what he's. So this all goes back to a larger conversation, Kyle, about the idea of, I hate using the term because it's not completely true, but it's kind of true. The idea of positionless football, right? Sure. Which is, which is the direction that the 49ers have been headed for a while, because heck, if you want to be, you know, really get down to it, it started with the signing of Kyle Hughes They yeah. told us, remember what they said? The very first press conference, they introduced him not as a fullback, but the term they used was offensive, offensive weapon, weapon, an OW. And Ow. It, right, right. And 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 so that was kind of the beginning of that. But you've seen that evolve with Debo Samuel. You've seen it, it with the addition of Christian McCaffrey. And I think that the next frontier of that could very well be tied in where it's like, hey, let's get someone in here who can do that, but can also line up as a fullback and can also split out and go into the slot and do some of those different things. And so I don't know that they necessarily have found the guy. I think they hope they did. I think they hope that one of these mm-hmm. guys becomes that. Um, but I but I think there is logic behind you presenting that as the idea of the way they're thinking because it's like, hey, you know, if we can find somebody else who we can move all over the place and can utilize in that way, that's not to say Kittle doesn't, but if they could have two of those guys, right. uh, it, it changes the dynamics. And the whole thing is, it really is kind of simple, but at the end of the day, the Kyle Shanahan offense and Sean McVay and the little floors and all that, it is, we want 
we want to be able to put personnel personnel in there where everything looks the same and you never know what you're going to get from the same group of personnel. And, right. and if you can do that with multiple different types of personnel, absolutely. That could be the wave of the future where, you know, the 49ers have, are one of the few teams that uses a fullback still, but what if they use a fullback and two tight ends or what, you know, yeah. what, like there's so many different ways that you could take that. And so um, I, I think there's some validity to what you're saying. I don't know for sure that they have the personnel to do it just yet, but I think that that is a place they would like to explore somewhere in the near future. I'm honestly just kind of shocked because the Patriots did this first with Aaron Hernandez and, and Rob Gronkowski. And I'm honestly shocked that since then, because it was so long ago, no team has really like put their eggs into the basket of trying to replicate that. I guess you saw the the Ravens do it. They had Mark Andrews and then they drafted Hayden Hurst in the first round and then punted on that early. But it yeah. feels like that's such a potentially lethal thing that no other team has really tried. Well, and what was kind of fascinating about that was that Gronkowski and Hernandez were different players, but they could both do similar things. Right. And that was the, like Hernandez was the move guy, right? Like they could use him as an H-back if they wanted to, whereas Gronkowski, they could put him, attach him to the line of scrimmage and let him maul you in the run game. And then right. he could just as easily split out wide as a receiver. So it is. But I do think that to your point. One of the fascinating things about the draft this year, and there were very few things that fascinated me about the draft because, <laughs> frankly, I haven't had to care about it that much for the sure. last few years, but was the just plethora of tight ends that got drafted in the first two days. And I do think that you're seeing that position become more athletic. You're seeing it evolve before our very eyes. And I think there's something to that. And I think that um, even a, even fullback, you know, with Kyle Juszczyk, a lot of people will say, boy, there's this position is headed towards extinction. And I don't know that I agree with that. I'm, I'm going to write on this later in the year and I'm kind of working on something now toward that, but I, I don't know that it's necessarily headed towards extinction. I think it's just a natural evolution where mm -hmm. they, they're, they're going to have to be OWs, right? Like they're, that's yeah. just going to have to be what it is because you could argue, well, Kyle Juszczyk is functionally and salary cap wise, uh, a number two tight end, but mm -hmm. he's not necessarily used in that way. Specifically, you could just view it as like, oh, he's an H back. He can, he, he plays that, you know, right. Aaron Hernandez type of role. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I do think I think it's a fascinating thing to keep an eye on, particularly as they try to develop those two 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 two, two young tight ends. Yeah, that's that's kind of why. So they drafted Latu in the third round, and I was like, man, they must really like this guy. And then they go and they got another tight end in Braden Willis, who is again, like you said, more the H back kind of yep. kind of player, definitely different, but playing the same position. And that just that to me, because the Niners don't do a lot of two tight end stuff because of what you said they can't right now when they have two tight ends on the field yeah they're probably running it and right. if they're gonna pass it, and you check is kind of ostensibly the second tight end in some ways right so they yeah. have that also yeah yeah, yeah. so i i'm 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 hanging my hat on that or putting my chips there that we're gonna see more two tight end stuff particularly if latu and and willis kind of develop into into players that they can they can put on the field maybe it's halfway think, through this year maybe it takes the a while beautiful thing about this take is, is if it happens like four years from now you're gonna be like see i was just so far ahead of the curve everybody never wrong just early like, that's it nothing <laughs> wrong with that predictive analysis that's what that's what that's where the real dough is made in this game it just if it, it feels like football has has just done this thing where okay offenses we're just beating up defenses. So defenses got big and then offenses went smaller and then they got faster to outrun defenses. Now defenses are shrinking back down. So now the offenses have to inflate to become more physical. And that's just kind of the, the pattern I'm trying to follow. 
Yeah, no, it's interesting. And there's, you know, there's this huge conversation about running backs right now, too. And it's like, mm. I, I think one of the fascinating things about the 49ers is you could make the argument that at, I don't know, five positions, maybe they have a guy who is like the standard of what the new age, quote unquote, yeah. player at his position is, right? Like, if you want to get paid like a top running back, you've got to be Christian McCaffrey. You've got right. to have that type of a skill set. If you want to get paid like a top fullback, you have mm-hmm. to be like Kyle Juszczyk. It, you know, maybe not quite a wide receiver, but but Debo gave you an example of one, a path to that, at least. Mm-hmm. Fred Warner at middle linebacker, it used to be get the big neck roll and, and you know, and Love you're going to come, da- come downhill and you're just going to thump people and, and, you know, and that's, that's going to be the thing. That's, I mean, Fred Warner is good at that, but that's not what his game is. So if you want to get paid like a top linebacker, because guess what, you got to be able to run with all these positionless offensive guys. So yeah, uh, I, I do think there's something to that. And I think it's actually an interesting idea um, to just kind of look at as what the 49ers team building strategy has been mm-hmm. of like, Hey, let's be on the cutting edge of, what we're looking for uh, in players. I'm actually making a note of this. This would be a good story. to surprise. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Now I, you, you mentioned the draft and how uninteresting it's been since, you know, 2021, it was fascinating. What are they going to do? And then 2022 and 2023 have just been brutal. All these early projections. Now all these early mock drafts, I had to pay attention. I had to figure out how to watch the draft again and follow the draft again. Not yet. It's too early. Well, no, I, right. But it's something that I'm at. The, I've got to like follow college football this year. Right. I, well, here's the thing. Like <laughs> it, 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 Kyle and John, if you're listening, which you're probably not, they do. but if you are, no, they do. It, well, this is, this is the world's best podcast. So, um, especially many, with many Chris at Disneyland, uh, but yeah, <laughs> the, uh, no, that if, if you're listening, please trade away your first round picks. <laughs> I, I I think proven proven commodities are better in my opinion. No, I'm just I'm just kidding. I, it's just it just makes for uh, less stress uh, for those of us covering the draft if we don't have like the pressure of like oh you've got a mock draft pick that you have to make a week before the draft and you better get it right. I mean they don't do that to us, but I put that pressure on myself. So yeah, no, you're grinding tape always. Speaking of draft picks, and I just overall this year you're talking about Super Bowl windows earlier. I think they I know this this year's class was was pretty thin in terms of just overall capital available. I think they ended up picking nine players, but I think if their window is going to extend realistically, I think they need two or three of these guys to be good. I think they need this, this year's Brown class to be. Yeah. 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 And maybe not maybe not be impactful necessarily this year. Yeah. But Jair Brown has to be their starting free safety by next year. And they need like one of these tight ends to work out or, or one of the defensive. Yeah. Guys. They need s- somebody to be good and on a rookie contract over the next couple of years. No, that's fair because you, you wouldn't necessarily feel the lack of, you know, fruit for lack of a better term from previous mm-hmm. drafts until two or three years in, right? Like that's mm-hmm. where you can feel it. One thing that I think is really interesting. I was having this conversation with somebody in the league recently, but we were talking about like the differences between the way the Rams and the 49ers have built their thing. Yeah. Whereas you know, the other, the Rams went all in and it was very obvious and they even didn't really even try to hide from it. It was, this is what they were doing. But one of the things that's, I think stands out as a big difference. And I think that gives the 49ers an, an edge in terms of like quote unquote, extending the window is the 49ers have been able to, let me let me start with the Rams. The Rams drafted a lot of guys who were functional, solid, serviceable starters, right? Like they had a lot of guys like that, but yeah. they were so star driven that if it they, and we saw what happened last year when they're when any of their stars and they happened to all get hurt, unfortunately for them, but like 
when any of those stars went down, it was like, oh, we're in trouble because nobody can carry the freight. Mm-hmm. The 49ers are drafting superstars in the mid to late rounds of these drafts. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge difference because if you have those guys where, you know, you're getting, like you said, that rookie, that rookie production on a rookie contract, you're getting that all pro production on a rookie contract. That's what I'm trying to say. Dre Greenlaw's of the world and the Brandon Ayuk's of the world, and the Talanoa Hufanga's of the world. Like those are the things that separate you and do extend that window. And I, I think like, let, let's use like Nick Bosa as an example here. Like, mm-hmm. you know, how Nick, you know how old Nick Bosa is? 25. Yeah, he's 25 years old. So, like, he's still really, like, there's a very real chance he's going to sign a, a lucrative contract that makes him the highest paid defender in the league. And then four or five years from now, he's going to do it again. Like, that's not outrageous. So, the way I view the Niners kind of windows is, is like, you've got, like the, like, the guys I mentioned earlier, some of the older guys who have been around. And then Warner, Fred Warner's still fairly young too, but like I think Warner, but especially Bosa are kind of like the bridge guys, like the guys who who will who will set that standard for that next group of guys. Yeah. And and so it is it is really interesting to go back and look at like, hey, the 49ers aren't just drafting serviceable starters who can get the job done. Like they have been able to find guys who are real guys uh, mm-hmm. and turn into all pros and pro bowlers and that kind of stuff. And if they can continue to do that, um, yeah, it will obviously extend the window. That goes without saying. But to your point, if they can find just even serviceable starters from these couple of drafts to bridge them into getting back into those earlier parts of the draft, uh, that will go a long way, too. I go back to the Niners 2012 draft, which was a, a total disaster. It was, it was LaMichael James and I, <laughs> Joe Joe Looney, I think was his name. He ended up having the best career out of that class. It was Definitely a, not Kavon. Yeah. No, not Kavon. No, not an NBA champion. But right. Multiple times. Multiple time NBA champion. I think three. Doesn't matter. <laughs> but It does, but yeah. The, by 2014 you really saw the impact of not having any quality players from the draft two years before. And I, I don't think the Niners are in that dire of straits, but I do. I, I really do believe strongly that they need a couple of guys out of this class to be at least quality starters. For I, I always say the best way to gauge a team's roster building abilities is what happens when their draft classes become free agents. Um, mm. I used to cover I used to cover a lot of bad football in St. Louis, like the Rams, you know, mm-hmm. really, really bad football for a long time. And it would just never fail that their rookie classes almost in their entirety would hit free agency and just be gone, like not in the league yeah. anymore. Not yeah. not forget getting a, even like a, a decent sized deal, just just flat out any deal, no longer employed. And so that's the thing where like you look at the Niners and the Rams did this some too, which has helped them. But getting those comp picks, um, it's not just coaching development; it's it's getting guys signed elsewhere. That's a big deal because you know you can you can max those guys out in terms of what they give you production wise. Um, and you're not trading them, right? You're still using, but you are sent. You are essentially trading them for a draft pick by letting them walk. And so um, that there is so much value in that. And I think it's really important to the roster building. But if you ever want to know if your team is doing things right, watch what happens when guys that they have on their roster become free agents and see yeah. where they land and what kind of money they get. Yeah. You brought up Nick Bosa. And when I, I wrote down notes, I wrote down defensive ends and I didn't, specifically write down Nick Bosa because I went, there's no way I'm going to forget to ask about that. And then I forgot to ask about it until you brought him up just now. The Niners very publicly are very confident that they're going to get a deal done with Nick Bosa. I think the fact that there's not been any weird media leaks about they're far apart or the Niners lowballed is a good sign. But do you think they're 
more concerned behind the scenes than they've shown publicly, or are they just kind of letting this play out because they trust him to be in shape and it'll get done when it gets done and he'll be a DPOY candidate week one? I think there's probably a point where they do get concerned, but I don't think we're there yet. And I don't know that we're necessarily even all that close yet. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting, like I, I, I'd been hearing like this could happen anytime. That was like two weeks ago. So, um, so right. I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. Like it almost makes you wonder if like they're not that the Niners will be like, yeah, just stay away and we'll figure this out as we get closer. We don't want to get you hurt, but like, you know, they've kept him in bubble wrap in the preseason anyway. Has Nick Bosa ever played in a preseason game? Like off the top of my head, I don't remember that happening. I don't think so. If he did, it was a few snaps here and there, and that was about it. But I know he hasn't in the last couple of years for sure. So I don't they're not super concerned about it for that reason. I do thought I did think it was interesting when John Lynch talked to us a couple of weeks ago. Um, he kind of started talking about how for him he needed about three weeks. He always said right. about three weeks. I, I thought that was maybe just like a subtle, like, hey, like, you know, maybe Nick could give us three weeks. Uh, you know, maybe maybe after that second preseason game, like that weekend is kind of where they where they target. So that's kind of what I'm keeping an eye on, at least in in terms of a timeline. But I wouldn't say that there's going to be any sort of like legitimate concern for at least three weeks, I would say. All right. Last thing. And then we'll get you out of here. We I mentioned that you've covered the league like forever. <laughs> Do you have do you have a, a player that stands out in that time that you're just like man that guy was was it like your favorite guy to cover I guess for lack of a better word Oh man there's I hate to choose one cuz there's been so many guys over the years that put, have you been do a top 5 if you want Yeah I mean there's just been so many that have like it's 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 like there's so many guys that are interesting that like I like covering them because of that so many because they're just great players I like covering because of that some that are a combination one that I'll bring up that I'll bang this drum until the day I die, who I think doesn't get enough attention. And we always kind of joked about it because like my first year covering the league was his rookie season, but it was Rams running back Steven Jackson. Mm. Um, and, and he was like the very definition of like, remember the Floyd Little, he, he finally got into the Hall of Fame a few years back from the Broncos. And he got he was he he was kept out for so long because he was on such bad teams. And I'm not necessarily saying Steven should be in the Hall of Fame, although I think he would be if he had played on a decent team at any point in his career. I agree. But he like I, I did Dominique Foxworth's podcast a couple weeks ago and I brought up Steven. I, I told a story about uh about Steven and and Dominique was like, oh man, that name just gave me chills because like trying to tackle that guy was like the worst thing I could possibly have to put on my plate. I saw the great Sean Taylor one time make a business decision in the open field against Steven Jackson. <laughs> and, true story, but um I, I loved covering Steven. He was such an interesting guy too. He had really like varied like interests, you know, he was very, I think he has an architecture business now in Las Vegas. And oh um, he, he just, he was, he was really smart and, and introspective and uh, thoughtful, but, uh, but a, just an absolute battering ram for, you know, lack of a better term, no pun intended on the field. And he, he was, you know, a big physical back, but he could catch balls. Like he, he, he could do a little bit of everything. If you ever get a chance to have Patrick Willis on the pod again, I know he's a friend of the show. Like, mm-hmm. like ask him about Steven Jackson, because those two always used to talk about each other in such reverential tones yeah. where like the collisions, those guys would have in the hole were epic. Yeah. Um, so, so Steven, Steven's way up there. Um, Trent Williams on the current team is way up there. I think he's a fascinating guy. He's obviously been through a lot, but um, always fun to talk to, always interesting to talk to. Uh, Isaac Bruce, uh, when I covered him with the 49ers Rams, I, legend, 
Yeah, I still talk. I still talk to him every once in a while. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just been there's been so many, and this Niners locker room in particular. I mean, Richard Sherman. I'd be remiss not to bring him up. You sure. know, um, obviously one of the smartest guys that you're going to find in any walk of life. Um, so yeah, I there. You know, I've I'm 20 years in, so I'll just put a number on it to make, to really let everyone know how old, how old I am. But but I I just I've been really fortunate. Um, and you know sure. I've covered good I've covered good ball I've covered bad ball, but um. If nothing else, it's always been interesting, even when it hasn't been about football, which for me in my career, many times it hasn't been about football, but I've also covered some really important stories, whether it was Colin Kaepernick or Michael Sam, or, you know, there were so many uh, relocation throughout the years that that were really interesting. So, um, yeah, that was a, that I, that I really didn't answer your question other than just praising Steven Jackson, no. but I'll, I'll always do that. So, no, it's great. I love Steven Jackson. He came into the league when I was 14 years old. And just terrorized the 49ers. And for somebody who followed the team with 14, 15, 16, I was like, this is the best running back in the league. I don't know how anybody. Steven ever Jackson also is responsible for one of the dopest Nike commercials of all time. If you have, if you don't remember, if you haven't seen it, go to YouTube, type in Steven Jackson, Nike last of the Mohicans, because it's got the music from the movie last of the Mohicans. Okay, sure. It is. It is awesome. It's. I think it's one of the greatest. <laughs> okay. I think it's one of the greatest commercials of all time. So I will. Uh, I will check that out for sure. I honestly would love to sit here and just talk about your career for a long time, but we're not. <laughs> we're not going to do that. This has been awesome. You've been really generous with your time, man, and I appreciate the heck out of it. And uh, I can't wait to stop this recording so we can make fun of Chris. Well, yeah. Any any anytime Chris isn't around, by all means, let me know. Or if you want to purposefully get Chris out of the way, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. Subscribe, rate, review, wherever you get your podcast. We'll talk to you. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.